This story is brought to your ears by all our fantastic supporters on Patreon. To get in the action yourself with bloopers, extras, and the occasional early story, join us at patreon.com slash voiceofallmtg. For more stories or just a chat, visit voiceofallmtg.com. And now, Voice of All presents Children of the Nameless, part two of three of a novella by Brandon Sanderson. Davriel felt he could hear the bog despite the distance as his carriage bumped down the overgrown forest road. He'd come to this plain specifically because so many others avoided it. The land had a chill to it, a sense of dread that ran deeper than the unyielding autumn and the watchful trees. It disturbed even the most callous to visit a place where human beings with loves, lives, families were often just food. What other lands whispered, this one screamed. Feelings and aspirations were immaterial. In the grand scheme, your dreams were less important than your duty to reproduce and then become a meal. The carriage jostled as it hit one of the many ruts in the road. Miss Highwater cursed softly, then scratched a line through something she'd been writing in her ledger. The girl, Tacenda, sat next to her, clutching her vial. Davriel had pretended to be reluctant in returning it. In truth, he had no idea what he'd do with such a thing. He preferred silence. The road crested a rise, and outside moonlight frosted the tops of the trees. A flock of birds, too distant to distinguish the species, broke up into the air as something startled them. They almost seemed to trail wakes through the moonlight, like fish in a current, as if the light were somehow too thick. It's out there. That direction. The cursed bog. He claimed to be the lord of the approaches, but the villagers only gave lip service to fealty and even to religion. The sole thing they really seemed to respect was that watery pit, and whatever lived deep within it. The entity stirred inside him. No words for me. Usually it upsets you when I think of the bog. The entity didn't speak, not even offering its usual assurance that he would someday wield its power. Something was off about this night. The disappearing villagers... The bog's ward? The cold moonlight. So... Miss Highwater was continuing her interrogation of the girl. Only the three of them rode in the carriage. He'd put Crunchnar and Brerig in the coachman's seat outside. The first victims were your parents, ten days ago. Your sister escaped and ran to the Priory? Yes. She was... She was training to be a Cathar for the church. When she returned with soldiers and they found my parents, some thought they might have been subject to dust willow poisoning. That sometimes happens to the farmers, you know. But we couldn't think why the man would attack, then poison someone. Then the merchants were taken three days later, on their way to the Priory. Witnesses? A priest saw the attack from a distance. He spoke of seeing the man of the manor and terrible green spirits, pulling the souls out of the merchants. After that, we started to stay close to the village, 
and the prioress promised to send to Thraben for instructions or aid. Others died, though. Taken by apparitions, which we started to call the Whisperers. Two days ago, my sister fell dead near the farms. Oddly, she didn't seem frightened, as the others had been. Her face wasn't frozen in a grimace of fear, at least. Perhaps she was taken by surprise? Anyway, the worst of it happened earlier today. Workers in the fields came running to the village, saying that geists were flowing out of the forest surrounding Verlossen. Mirian, my neighbor, woke me, since I usually sleep until near duskfall. Everyone hid in their homes while I took my spot near the cistern and started singing. Outside? They leave you out by yourself, as an offering, all night? I'm no offering. My sister and I were born with the bog's blessing. Stronger than anyone has ever known it before. My songs protected the village at night. Isn't that hard? Singing all night? I don't have to go straight through the night, usually. A song here and there, some humming in between, but... Today... It didn't work. The whisperers entered the village, ignoring my song. I didn't see whatever it was, but I heard them. Whispering. Davril leaned forward, curious. Why didn't anyone flee? Why just hide in their homes? Why not run away? Run? <laughs> Where would we go? Starve out in the woods somewhere? Travel at night, trying to get to Thraben where they'd turn us away? Their merchants and priests might come to the approaches, but they would not accept a village full of refugees. Still, in the Priory, it's close. Some of the villagers went to the church in our village. Those who worshipped the angel. When she heard of our plight, the prioress had sent priests to protect us with their prayers. But faith didn't help the ones who hid in the church. Just like it didn't help my sister. It seemed Tessenda didn't follow the angel herself, despite the symbol she wore wrapped around her wrist. Curious. From his first arrival in the approaches, he'd found it unusual how staunchly the people here resisted the church. The priests of the Priory, misguided fools that they were, had a trinket that stilled the souls of any who died there. No geists, no rising corpses, no terrors. That should have been enough to earn them converts, but few of the villagers accepted the angel's blessed sleep. Instead, they left instructions for their bodies to be returned to the bog. The cursed thing had its vines wrapped around their hearts. I knew the priests who came to help. The younger one, Ashwin, did a sketch of my sister once. They barricaded themselves with the faithful inside the church. I looked in on them in the end and found only corpses. Davril sat back, thoughtful. In the manner, he'd postulated this was the work of some rogue necromancer. But an entire village? Defended by multiple priests with protection wards and banishing talents? Maybe we should have left. Maybe we should have run. But you don't know how it is, safe up in your rich manor. You don't know what it's like to sleep each night with a fervent prayer and an axe set by the door just in case. This is how we live. There is always a shadow in the forest, with eyes that burn too darkly and teeth that shine too brightly. 
We've lived here for generations, trusting in the bog's ward. This is our fate. Hunker in at night, and pray for the clouds to pass us by. The carriage bumped again, and then the wheels clattered on wood as they crossed an old bridge. The carriage lanterns soon revealed a collection of squat homes. Though the buildings huddled in groups, the reinforced doors and thick window shutters made each one look solitary. He spotted the first body in the street, a woman lying on her back, arms frozen in a gesture of panic, trying to protect her head. The face was locked in a mask of terror. Crunchnar slowed the carriage. Davriel stepped out into the silent town full of hollow buildings like broken eggshells. This place, he decided with a shiver, was worse than the forest, where you knew you were being watched. Here, well, there was a question. Crunchnar thumped down from the carriage, wearing his full battle gear. Brerig perched on the top of the carriage like a gargoyle, his stunted wings fluttering behind him. Gutmorn and Eledris rounded out his retinue, a brother and sister pair of lightly armored Nightreach demons who landed on a nearby rooftop, their enormous wings settling around them. They were far less human-looking than Crunchnar or Miss Highwater, with skeletal features and long, goat-like legs. If anyone had been alive in the village, they likely would have died of fright from the sudden arrival of his procession. Miss Highwater helped Asinda from the carriage, then pulled out Davriel's cloak and mask. She held those toward him, expectantly. He normally wore them in public. Fewer people from off-plane knew the costume than they did his face, and Davriel Kane was, of course, a newer name he'd adopted. He threw on the cloak, which had an old shadow charm from his days living among the demons of Vex. When the edges fluttered down, they left faint smudges in the air, like the streaks made by a paintbrush. It was a tad dramatic, but few would ever accuse demons of understatement. He left the mask off for now as he knelt beside the body of the frightened woman. He felt at the skin of her face, which had gone cold and stiff, and then slipped his hand under her back. The sun had set almost three hours ago, and the attack had occurred just before that, but there wasn't a hint of warmth. The body heat wouldn't have faded so quickly on its own, even in a chill environment such as this. That also ruled out something like dust willow poisoning, it might provoke a catatonic state, but wouldn't cause the body temperature to plunge so quickly. He nodded to himself, working the muscles of her face, and then moving one of her arms down. Definitely not a mere immobilization ward like I used on you earlier. He spoke as Tessenda stepped up beside him. He looked deep into the fallen woman's eyes, then used a mirror to check for breath. No sign of life but also very little pooling of the blood at the back. Unnatural chill. No sign of puncture wounds from being fed upon. Blue around the lips, as you noticed. Muscles are taut, but can be posed. So? So, this has been a waste of a trip. Davriel stood up, accepting a washcloth from Miss Highwater for his hands. It is exactly as I surmised at the manor. Their souls have been evacuated, and the trauma induced their bodies into a form of paralytic suspension. But what can we do? 
Davriel handed the towel back to Miss Highwater, who tucked it away, and then handed him his walking cane. It had, of course, a sword hidden inside. He turned around, inspecting an entire village full of mausoleums. That depends on who or what is behind this. Your average necromancer would want the bodies. That they were left here tells us this wasn't the work of some common corpse monger. However, there are varieties of necromancer who build devices using souls as a form of power. And there are many creatures in this land who feed upon souls. Some attack aggressively. Others, like demons, engage in such feasting only as a delicacy once the soul is won through contract. I doubt it was demons. Miss Highwater flipped back a few pages in her notebook. The girl said that many of the doors were still locked. She had to break in and check for survivors. She heard these whisperers, but couldn't distinguish the language they spoke. The whisperers could pass through walls, but someone was controlling them, right? Yes, even if you hadn't heard footsteps earlier, we could surmise that. The subterfuge using my likeness, the precision strike to excise your sister, then the collected assault. Someone is controlling these geists. On their own, they wouldn't have the presence of mind to act in any coordinated way. He pointed with his cane. Take me to one of the locked buildings you opened. Crunchnar and Brerig joined them, the littler demon holding a lantern for light, while Gutmorn and Eledris took to the air, watching for danger. They all had various claims upon his soul, per the contracts he'd made with them. The terms of each were different, but each shared one important element. Their reward was predicated upon him surviving long enough for the deal to be fulfilled. If he died early, they got nothing. That was the first rule of demonology. Make certain the demon's incentives align with your own. Though the concept was simple economics, it was so easy to forget. They reached a nondescript home with a broken window. The shutters to this one had apparently been unlocked for some reason during the attack, so Tessenda had been able to get in easily by breaking the glass. They went in through the door, and there found the bodies of a young family with two small children huddled in a variety of states of terrified panic. Davriel handed Miss Highwater his cane, and then did a perfunctory check of the bodies, which had the same signs as the first woman. As he worked, Brerig heaved his stumpy body up onto the counter near the stove and began rummaging through the cupboards. He tossed out a few empty jars after sniffing them, and then kept rummaging. If it's here, master, I'll find it. He's looking for tea. For me... The little demon had a habit of fixating on one thing Davriel said, and then trying his hardest to fulfill it. He came out with a jar of what appeared to be dried-up garlic cloves, and obviously couldn't decide if it was tea or not. Miss Highwater gave him a covert shake of her head, so he tossed it aside. Davriel turned back to the investigation. These were followers of the bog? Yes. She carefully tucked a blanket around the smallest of the children, a boy who couldn't be older than four. His terrified face was frozen mid-screen, eyes open wide, and he was clutching a straw toy for comfort. Davriel had been inclined to trust to send his description that these whispers were a form of apparition, but she'd been blind, so it was best to check for himself. 
The bodies in this home, which had otherwise been locked tightly, seemed proof enough. Whatever had done this could pass through walls. Brerig limped over, carrying a pouch that looked promising. Indeed, it had once held tea, judging by the scent. Sorry, master. Brerig upended the pouch, proving nothing was inside. It's all right. Davril stood up and wiped his hands on the cloth Miss Highwater provided. Riddle? Go ahead. The little demon scrunched up his face. Is it air? That's actually a good guess. But no, it's not the answer. Rurig smiled, then tucked the pouch into his pocket as he exited. Crunchnar, who had waited outside during the investigation, thumbed over his shoulder, sending the smaller demon to go watch the horses, which he did without complaint. Honestly, I don't think he ever wants to figure out that riddle. Perhaps she was right. It was criminal how loyal Brerig could be. Davriel stepped back out onto the street to send a following. Well? What now? He pointed with his cane toward the shadow of the small church at the center of town. Crunchnar led them that direction with his lantern. How much do you know about the bog's ward upon you? All of the approachers are marked. The bog's protection. It's said that because of it, we don't suffer nearly as many attacks as we should, living this far away from the rest of society. I don't know about that. When I was younger, attacks seemed frequent enough. Until I learned to sing. Before my failure today, I thought it would always be enough. My sight. In exchange for the song. A curious curse. It's a reminder of what I owe the bog. Of the debt we all owe to the bog. For protection. She seemed to waver as she said it, looking toward an empty doorway with bodies inside. Well, Davril supposed he couldn't blame these people for a little superstition. There was something different about the Approachers. That was the most intriguing part of all this. Something is very odd about these spirits who invaded your town. Miss Highwater, would any discerning demon make a deal with an Approacher? She wrinkled her nose. Of course not. And why not? Because they're claimed already. Everyone knows that. You can smell it on them. Crunchnar grunted and then nodded. Like we can tell when a soul is already under contract to another demon. It takes a powerful price to be worth entering such a bargain. Thank you for the compliment. Miss Velasen, the mark upon your souls is less a protection and more a sign of ownership. A claim. Your song functions the same way. It scares off beasts and spirits because they recognize the danger in provoking the bog. Killing you would be like killing a powerful lord's hounds. But your song did not help earlier. Ergo... To send us stopped in the street, her instrument strapped to her back. Though Miss Highwater had given her a handkerchief earlier to clean her face and hands, her peasant's dress was still ragged and bloodied from where she'd scraped her arm. She gaped at him. Surely, you aren't implying the bog took them. It is my leading theory. There is another possibility. Perhaps these geists were sent by someone powerful enough to ignore the bog's claim. Still, I can't help wondering why your warding did not work. Perhaps the thing that took these souls was made of the same power. 
While a mouse might fear the cat's scent, the cat itself won't even notice it. The bog protects us. It demands our souls when we die, but otherwise it wards us and keeps us safe. It couldn't have been involved. Possibly. I've always found it difficult to separate your little cult from the bog's actual interventions. It's not a cult. This is just... the way things are. Davriel glanced through an open doorway into another home, noting a body lying on the floor near the opening. He found himself increasingly annoyed. Not by the deaths. Lives began and lives ended. There was no use fretting about every little loss. But these were his peasants. The bog, or something similar, had taken them in flagrant disregard for Davriel's authority. We will become so much more. There you are. Have you been napping? You continue in petty struggles for power and authority. You must realize these are meaningless wastes of your potential. Once you use my strength, infuse your spells with my power, you will outgrow all of this. That was precisely what Davriel feared. Ever since stealing the entity, pulling it from the mind of a dying man, he had been able to sense its vast potential. Soon we will escape this mundanity. Soon. They reached the church, a simple wooden structure with a peaked roof. No grand stained glass windows, not out here in the approaches. Just a wide, single-story structure filled with pews. Inside, the darkness was complete, as the few windows didn't allow in much light from the moon. The large front doors stood open, and the bar on the inside had been set aside. Curious. Davriel rested his fingers on the engraved wood, noting distinctive scrapes. Those were fresh. Also of note, the door had once borne the symbol of the collar, the sign of the Church of Avicen, the Archangel. That had been sanded off some months ago. In addition, the identical stonework mark, once set into the arch, had been covered over with plaster. What's this? Why did your people remove the symbol? Well, after that business last year, the prioress decided... Business last year? What business is this? With the angels? He shook his head, and then glanced at Miss Highwater, who seemed amused. Even Crunchnar raised an eyebrow. You're not serious, are you? The Archangel Avison went crazy? As did most of the flights? What? Really? The angels tried to kill us. They wanted to exterminate humankind for our own good. Even here, away from the main body of the church, we heard about it. Huh. That sounds like a rather large hassle. Oh, Dav, I gave you three briefings on the matter. Was I listening? Obviously not. Tessenda, incredulous, waved toward the sky. The moon! Didn't you notice the moon? Oh, did it try to kill you too? The symbol? The enormous rune etched into its surface? He stepped back, looking up at it, and then cocked his head. Has that always been there? Tessenda looked at him, incredulous. How can you be so shrewd, yet so oblivious at the same time? You ask a question that has tormented me for years, child. 
Someday, I will discover his secrets as he screams for mercy, his soul burning in my heart deeper than hell. Then, I will devour his soul. And I shall endeavor to give you indigestion, Crunchnar. You know, I like it. It has style. It's different. He held up his hand, making a fist in the air to summon Gutmorn and Eledris. They flapped over, landing on the ground nearby with quiet thumps. The two claimed to be brother and sister, created upon the same day. Though their faces were so twisted with horns, they also could have been siblings to a particularly aspirational fork, and Davriel wouldn't have known the difference. Watch the perimeter of the town. I don't trust this knight. The rest of you going to be alright if we step into a church? I fear not the angels. And I don't care, as long as there aren't any priests or banishing spells around. Good enough. Davriel strode in. To send a stopped in the doorway of the church as Davriel and the demons spread out to investigate. She intimately knew the sounds of this place. The way voices echoed in the eaves. The way the small fountain tinkled with the sounds of spring water. The prioress had installed that symbol of purity just before Tessenda's birth, an attempt to represent clean waters to contrast the impurity of the bog. Tessenda had come here with Willia for services, though she'd never herself taken the oath of the blessed sleep. The church cared about this true sign of devotion above all others, the promise to have one's body taken to the priory for burial, rather than accepting entombment in the bog. Tessenda trailed the front dais and the altar, which had holes for candles and twin poles at the sides. Once, those had borne Avacyn's symbol, the general symbol of the church. Tessenda remembered kneeling here as a child, one hand on each of the poles, feeling at the cold metal, the cast bronze symbols, while the priests prayed over her in an attempt to heal her from her affliction. The symbols of Avacyn had been removed at the prioress's command. Apparently, everyone in Thraben worshipped a new angel now. But could you really just change your faith? Swap it out like changing shirts? What made this new worship any better? And how long had the old one been flawed? Willia wasn't the only one here who had taken to wearing the symbol of the nameless angel instead. A mysterious figure who had granted the approaches the boon of the sealand stone, the relic of the priory. Crunchnar poked around inside the building, his motions exaggerated, as if he was trying hard to prove just how unbothered he was to be inside a church. Miss Highwater stayed close to Davriel, who inspected the beam that used to bar the door. Then he turned his attention to the windows, which he opened in turn, looking at the frames. Descenda walked to the bodies, which lay in shadow. Crunchnar's solitary lantern left the wide chamber feeling gloomy. Around a dozen people had fallen here, two families worth. The faithful among the village, a handful compared to those who had stayed in their homes to instead trust the bog's warding song. With them were the bodies of the priests. There were three. Old Gurdanvala was their village priestess, a woman Willia had always called stern. 
She'd fallen at the altar, holding aloft a symbol of Avicen, a now forbidden icon. When danger had come, she'd turned back to her original faith. The other two priests had come from the priory to try to help the people in this emergency. Tacenda didn't know them as well, though the younger one was Ashwin, the priest who had once done a sketch of Willia. His body huddled against the wall, eyes open wide. Tacenda knelt and slipped a sketch pad from the ground beside him, and inside found sketches of people. Priests, villagers, several of the prioress herself. The last sketch was a quick drawing of the church from this perspective near the wall, the pews in a line, the front doors wide open and the moon beyond. Standing in the doorway, drawn as quick, unfinished outlines, were transparent figures with twisted faces, ghastly images that reminded her distinctly of what she'd seen earlier at Davriel's mansion, when the Cathar's spirit had twisted into a fearful geist. She shivered at the haunting sketch, rough but somehow compelling. She could imagine the priest there, huddled in the corner, drawing furiously as the church's wards and prayers failed. She took the sketch pad to the front of the room, where Davriel and Miss Highwater were again inspecting the front door. What's this? Davriel stepped over and took the sketch pad from her. Too dark. Crunchnar, would you get on with lighting the lamps in here? I can barely see how ugly you are. Crunchnar grumbled, but started to do so. Davriel turned the sketch pad toward the light, and then nodded. Makes sense. What makes sense? He handed the sketchbook back to Descenda. Miss Highwater, what would you make of this situation? The church's wards held, for a short time at least. Scratches on the doors and windows which looked distinctly like the marks made by Geis trying to claw their way in. They wouldn't have needed to do so if they could simply pass through these walls as they did the other homes. Excellent. Miss Velasen, this is compelling evidence. Evidence? Of what? These whisperers could not enter the church, at least not at first. The powers of the priests were sufficient to hold them back. Tacenda looked back at the pictures of the spirits at the doorway to the church. You said before that it was possible the Geists weren't affected by my song because they were too powerful. But if the church's wards held them back... I doubt something powerful enough to completely ignore the bog would, in turn, be stopped by the wards of these priests. That said, we have proof that the Priory's authority can ward away the bog's influence. The claim it can make upon the souls of those buried there, for example. As the Whisperers were unaffected by your song, but were stopped by the priests, I find it increasingly likely that they are from the bog. In fact, the spirits you heard whispering were likely people from your own village. He strode across the room, cane clicking on the church's tile floor. Tacenda hurried after him. What? What do you mean? The attack started slowly. At first, just two people, your parents, on a trip to the bog, then a few more, rising in frequency until the final attack on the village. Why so many days between the first attacks, then a growing, overwhelming attack at the end? 
I suspect it was because these whisperers are the very spirits we're searching for, the disembodied souls of your villagers. The spirits can perpetrate the theft. Once a few geists were made, they could be sent to gather others. The multiplicative effect would compound their numbers quite quickly, growing their ranks for larger, more daring attacks. Tacenda froze in place, horrified by the idea. But it made a twisted kind of sense. Her sister's face. It hadn't been frightened when she was taken. Could it be that she'd somehow recognize the geists coming for her? Could it have been... Her parents? Miss Highwater, several questions remain. Someone seems to be helping the bog, as evidenced by their footsteps she heard. This leads us to the answer to how the church was breached. The wards were, after all, holding. Vampires. An excellent guess. But wrong. Davriel smiled. Wait, what is this about vampires? The door was opened from the inside. The bar was removed willingly with no signs of a forced entry. Your sketch proves that the spirits entered through the doorway, so someone let them in. That's why I guessed vampires, a creature who could control the mind of someone inside and get them to open the doors. And would open doors alone allow spirits to enter a warded church? I'm not sure. Beyond that, could an approacher even be mind-controlled? Have you ever tried to reach into one of their brains? I'll tell you, it is not a pleasant experience. The bog's touch is quite powerful. So, what happened then? Check the bodies of the priests. Davriel waved toward the corpses. I just did that. Then do a better job this time, Miss Velasen. She frowned, but walked over and knelt beside the corpse of the young priest. She looked him over, and then, timid at first, turned his body. He's, He's not, not really, really dead. dead. He's, He's just, just sleeping. sleeping. I'll, I'll save, save him like, like I'll, I'll save, save Willia. His body didn't seem different from any of the others. She moved to the older priest from the priory, who lay on his front, with his head turned to the side. He had the same frozen, glassy expression as everyone else. Tacenda rolled him to the side, and found a stab wound in his chest. She yelped, letting go, but Miss Highwater took the body and rolled it all the way over. He had been killed with a blade. How had Tacenda not noticed that? There's barely any blood on the floor. It stained the front of his robes, but hadn't pooled underneath him. His body froze like the others once his soul was taken. Damn it, Dav, how did you know? The man of the manor walked past, looking self-satisfied as he began to rummage at the altar. What does it mean? Someone stabbed him, which interrupted his prayer. Then that someone opened the doors and let in the whisperers. There was a traitor in the village. Yes. Do you know exactly who was in this room when they first barred those doors? No. It was a confusing time, and I was still blind. My eyesight didn't return until just after dusk. Might be worth having someone audit the town anyway, so we can see if anyone is missing. A task we could perhaps assign the priests of the Priory come morning. Unless, Mr. Sender, your sister is dead, so we can't interview her. But you said a priest 
was among those identified me. Do you know which priest? Edwin. A younger man. He happened upon you, or someone dressed as you, I suppose, attacking some local merchants. That was the first time anyone reported seeing geists involved. She trailed off. Those were the first attacks after her parents had fallen, and Edwin had reported seeing two geists. It seemed obvious, now that Davriel had pointed it out, those two had been... had been her parents. The horror of it suddenly threatened to overwhelm her. She slumped down on the ground beside the stabbed priest, surrounded by corpses. Her parents, her sister, the people of the village... They'd been taken, corrupted, forced to come back and rip out the souls of those they loved. And Davriel said the bog was involved? That it wanted this for some reason? Tacenda had been using a kind of focus to keep herself moving. First, a narrow focus on attacking the man, and then a focus on trying to save her sister. But if she really stopped to think about how terrible it all was... She was the village's last protector. But in the end, she was barely an adolescent, and she had no idea what she was doing. What would she do if the bog itself was against her? If its gift was useless, what was she? She hugged herself and wished, for once, she had someone to sing to her, as she'd sung to Willia in the night. She wished she could hear that song of joy, the one that, moment by moment, she seemed to be forgetting. The priest child. What do you know of him? Not. Not much. He's a procher born, but trained in Thraben? Surely you don't think he was involved in this? They might have opened the church doors here for a priest. It would explain a lot. Someone seems to have gotten through those doors then stabbed the priest saying the prayers, letting the geists flood in. I'm making no absolute judgments yet. Davriel was still poking around behind the altar. I have no concrete theories on why a priest would work with the bog. I can't even say why the bog would go about murdering its own worshippers if indeed that happened. Then... What do we do next? Descenda blinked, trying to recapture her focus. She couldn't think about it all too much, or it would overwhelm her. They weren't dead. Willia wasn't dead. Focus on that. We need magic that can deal with geists. I'd best want a spell to track them. Sometimes if you can isolate a geist, then confront it with something very familiar to it when it was alive, a tool of its trade perhaps, it will recover enough to answer a few questions. We might also want some magic to stabilize and anchor their forms, forcing them to remain corporeal so they can be resisted physically. Do you have that kind of magic? No. Technically, I have few talents of my own. But- I can but borrow from others, Miss Verlassen. I am an unassuming beggar, a servant of all people. Crunchnar snorted as he lit another lamp. It still wasn't very bright in the room. Many people have some kind of minor talent, a magical knack, an aura of faith, or even some practiced wizardry. They're truly uninspired in the use of these blessings. I give them a little help. He does that by reaching inside their brains and forcibly ripping out their magical abilities, which he then uses as he needs them. 
That's horrible! Now, now. It hurts me almost as much as it does them. Especially if the magic I steal is from someone particularly self-righteous. And they recover the talent soon after my intervention. So what is the harm? Aha! He stood up suddenly, holding something aloft. What? A clue? Better. He turned around the small jar. The priestess was hoarding some dust willow tea! He unscrewed the lid. And then his face fell. Empty. You peasants have been exceptionally lazy these last few weeks. Yes, yes, being murdered by Geiss and all that, but really... A thump sounded outside, and a shadow darkened the front of the church. One of the two flying demons, Tessenda couldn't tell them apart, ducked into the chamber, holding a spear and speaking with a gravelly voice. Master, riders on horseback bearing lanterns have approached the town. What? At this time of night? They shot at us when they saw us. The demon held up a wicked crossbow quarrel. Gathmorn got hit in the leg. He landed on top of a nearby home to recover, but the riders are coming straight this direction. They look like demon hunters. Davriel sighed a loud, deliberate sigh and shot Tessenda a glare. You can't possibly blame me for this. I'll blame whomever I want. Yeldris, go fetch Brerig in the wagon. See if he can get here before- A crossbow bolt snapped against the wooden door next to Eledris, and shouts rose in the near distance. Or perhaps just bar the door. Tessenda stumbled back as Crunchnar roared and slammed the door shut. The tall, thick oak portal rattled as Crunchnar, with Eledris's help, rammed the bar into place. Crunchnar then unhooked a small round shield from his back and slipped a wicked sword from its sheath. Eledris fell in beside him, spear held before her, wings stretching and then settling in a relaxed posture. Miss Highwater peeked through a small window beside the doorway. The glass was thick, the opening narrow. This is novel. I've never been on this side of a church assault before. Davriel joined her, and Tessenda stepped up, but the window was too narrow for her to get a good view. Lord Greystone! Do not pretend to hide! Our scouts saw you inspecting your foul handiwork in this poor town. Your hour of reckoning has arrived. No longer will you terrorize the approaches. Come out and submit to judgment in the name of the Archangel Zigarda and the host of cleansing! Greystone... That's the alias you give when... When I visit the Prioress, it grows increasingly obvious that she and I will need to have words. Can you get a count of how many are out there? There are at least a dozen. We shouldn't have trouble fighting them unless they've brought some heavy magics. Fighting them? Tessenda stretched on her toes, trying to look over Miss Highwater's shoulder to see out. There's no need to fight. Just let me talk to them. Once I explain that you didn't attack my village, they'll probably want to help us save the people. Davriel and Miss Highwater shared a look. She's sweet. It will be fun watching her get disillusioned. Descenda blushed. I'm not naive. But those are good people out there. Heroes. Surely we can talk to them. There's no such thing as good people. Just incentives and responses. 
A bright red light flashed through the window. Ah, they brought a pyromancer. This might prove convenient. Also, take cover! He turned and ran for the nearest pews, leaping over them with shocking spryness. Miss Highwater followed and to send a gape for a moment, then ran. The door exploded. The shockwave slammed Tacinda against a wooden pew. A spray of burning splinters fluttered through the room, trailing smoke. Crunchnar bore it without flinching, his shield blocking some of the debris. Soldiers bearing the new church symbol, in the shape of a heron's head, flooded the room. They wore stark white tabards, bound at the waist with thick buckles. Crunchnar and Eledris engaged them immediately, and though outnumbered, the demons loomed over the smaller humans. Davriel dusted some splinters from his clothing, and then settled into a chair beside the fountain, one with a view of the fight, and put his feet up. Descenda scrambled over to him, her ears ringing from the explosion. Aren't you going to do something? Can't you freeze them like you did me? That spell has faded. I'll need to steal something new before I can intervene in this. A thump sounded outside as the other flying demon, Gutmorn, landed and attacked the soldiers from behind, causing those nearest the door to turn around, shouting. Most of the soldiers were outfitted in similar uniforms, though their leader was obviously that woman with the long black hair and the silver lining to her coat. She edged to the side of the demons, holding a longsword, watching for an opening. Beside her, a man in leathers carried a large canister on his back, glowing with a deep red light. Descenda had never seen anything like it before, but tubes extended from it along his arms, down to his hands. A pyromancer? I have to do something to stop this! Crunchnar swept a soldier aside with his shield, then hacked at another one, killing the poor woman. The demon took a spear to the side, however, and cried out in agony. Stop! Stop! Let me explain! The woman with the long hair glanced at her, and then pointed. Deal with his frown. A soldier dashed toward Descenda. She backed up a few steps, anxious. Listen to me! Lord Davriel didn't do this! We're trying to find out what happened! Just listen! The soldier swiped his sword at Descenda, who scrambled away, climbing back over a pew. Please! Just listen! The man rounded the pews. Nearby, a body went rolling past, thrown by one of the demons. The entire church building was a cacophony of grunting demons, shouting men and ringing metal. They fought without taking note of the bodies of the villagers on the floor, other than to stumble over them occasionally. It was madness. The soldier lunged for Tacenda again, but she stayed among the pews quicker than he was. He stopped in the aisle, and then held his hands to the side, light gathering there. Tacenda froze, worried. Magic? The man suddenly screamed, the light in his hand vanishing. He fell to his knees, holding his head in agony. Ah, curious. Tacenda glanced at him, noting the red smoke fading from his eyes. She glanced back at the soldier. Davriel had stolen a spell or talent from the man's mind? She backed away, stopping near Davriel's seat. What did you get? 
A summoning charm. Not terribly powerful, but flexible. It brings the most recently touched weapon to hand. I suspect that soldier was summoning a crossbow to deal with Miss Verlassen. Another round of shouts came from the soldiers, who backed away as Eledris took to the air, sweeping about with her spear. Three men with crossbows, however, launched a row of bolts with strange chains on them meant to damage wings. That dropped Eledris back to the ground, where men came at her long, goat-like legs with axes. Davriel narrowed his eyes, and then pointed at one of the men, who stumbled and screamed, holding his head. Gutmorn pushed into the room and speared the man through the neck. Descenda turned aside, wincing. We shouldn't have to do this! They're on our side! They've seen demons, child. They won't talk or listen now. They're good people! There's no such- There is such a thing. I've known many a good and humble person. Products of social conditioning and moral incentives. He pointed again, and another man screamed. Anything good? No. The minds of these are about as useful as bent spoons. Davriel eyed the man with the fiery machine, and then pointed directly at him. Nothing seemed to happen, though. Davriel grunted. What? He's got wards upon his mind. Ones that seem specifically intended to block me. Crunchnar roared as he took a hit to the back, and dark blood poured down his leather armor. Most of the soldiers still fought in this open space at the rear of the room, between the doors and the pews, where the three demons fought with increasing desperation as they were surrounded. They're being hurt! The soldiers are killing them! Yes, that's literally why I keep them around. He stood up and pointed once more at the man with the pyromancy gear, but again, nothing seemed to happen. Can you even steal anything from him? He's using machinery. He's augmenting with Geist Flame, but he'll have innate power to control and maybe ignite the fire. My best chance will be right at the moment of ignition. Dav, there at the back near the doors. Do you see that bearded man? Descenda squinted, picking out a man who had entered the church behind the fighting, and then set an enormous tome on the floor before him. That one is called Gutmorn, the winged one with the wounded leg. He is a demon of the Davrick Depths, feaster upon souls, tormentor of the Seven Princes. <laughs> they brought a church diabolist. How cute. Hell, somebody kill him. Crunchnar, stab that bearded guy. But Crunchnar was flagging. Fully half of the soldiers were down, but he had been cut up badly. The other two demons put their backs to one another, lashing out with spears, but they too were slowing, bleeding dark blood onto the floor. That one is the Eldritch Blood Slave, the other winged demon, also from the Devrick Depths. They are not immune to fire, Grot. The tome is certain. So much death, so much pain. Again, it threatened to overwhelm her. Uncertain what else to do, Tessenda stepped forward and found herself humming. Maybe... maybe it would help? To sing? You'll just see them dead if you do that. Your ward will stun the demons and let the soldiers finish them off. A demon has no soul. Destroy it and it is gone forever. Tessenda hesitated. Surely there was a way to stop this. Surely there was a way to make them... Hands seized her from the side and shoved her to the ground. She gasped. 
She'd been so focused on the demons, she hadn't seen the woman with the long hair who had snuck up along the pews. Dazed, Tessenda rolled over as the woman thrust her hands toward Davriel, her eyes glowing, a powerful blue and white light forming in front of her. Davriel shoved Miss Highwater aside. A blast of light exploded from the demon hunter and washed over him like a column of purity, tinged faintly blue. And now you shall finally rest, immortal monster! The light faded, leaving Davriel standing there in his puffy shirt, purple cravat, and long cloak. He blinked several times, his eyes watering. Well, that was unpleasant. The woman gaped, lowering her hands. Unfortunately for you, I'm quite human. There! The old man with the book pointed toward Miss Highwater, who'd stumbled and fallen as Davriel had shoved her out of the way. Do not ignore the demon that has the form of a comely woman. That is Voluptara, feaster of men, known as one of the most dangerous and wily demons of the Nexrix flame expanse. Descenda blinked, sitting up. Vol... Voluptara? Oh, hell. He found it. A roaring heat came from behind Descenda, and she turned, scrambling to her feet. The man in red, finally in the right position to not hit any of his friends, had come alight with fire. He cackled, launching a blaze from his tubed hands. It engulfed Aledris completely, a terrible, raging inferno jet that, when it finally faded, left only bones and some buckles. Gutmorn screamed in agony, a shockingly human sound while the remaining soldiers cheered. Their leader turned back to face Davriel again and raised her hands to summon her light, as if to try to prove to herself that it would work this time. I believe that is enough. He pointed, stabbing his fingers toward the lead woman. Her light went out, and she screamed, falling to her knees. Again, Tessenda noted that Davriel himself winced in pain as he stole the woman's power, as if he shared in her agony. Davriel dealt with the pain far better than the woman. He kicked her aside, and Miss Highwater leaped forward, producing a knife from her belt. She dealt with the unfortunate woman, and Davriel picked his way toward the demons. Another soldier came for Davriel, but he snapped his fingers, red smoke clouding his eyes, and his cane appeared in his hand. The summoning spell. The one that brings him a weapon. He'd summoned the cane from where he'd left it beside the altar. With a smooth motion, Davriel whipped the sheath off, revealing a long, slender blade inside. The soldier stabbed at Davriel, who didn't dodge, but instead lunged forward in a dueling stance, driving his sword straight through the soldier's neck. The man scored a hit on Davriel, stabbing him through the side, but Davriel didn't seem to mind. He slid his sword from the man's neck as he stumbled and died. The pyromancer roared, turning his weapon on Davriel. But the Lord seemed to have been waiting for this, for as the pyromancer focused on charging up his flames, Davriel stabbed his fingers at the man. The fire went out, and the man stumbled as if he'd been punched. Then he looked befuddled as he inspected his tubes. 
A second later, a blast of flame from Davriel's hand vaporized him, along with a large swath of pews behind. The remaining three soldiers had seen enough. They scrambled away out the door, leaving a bleeding Crunchnar and Gutmorn among the corpses. The demons sagged under the weight of their wounds, sighing. That left only the old man with his tome, who was still kneeling on the floor, frantically flipping pages. He slowed as he looked up, and found Davriel standing above him. The church had again become quiet. Silent, save for the crackling of flames from burning pews. Davriel loomed over the old man, and then rubbed his fingers together, causing a small flame to rise between them. Tacenda gasped, then dashed across the room and grabbed Davriel by the arm. No! Just let him go. Davriel didn't respond. His eyes clouded red with no pupils, and he seemed a demon himself standing there. What do you gain by killing him? His words cost me a valuable servant. I'm simply responding to incentives. Let's see if you have any useful talents, old man. He stabbed his fingers forward and the old man screamed, holding his head. This time, Davriel didn't so much as flinch, but he also held the moment, as if continuing to invade the man's mind, driving the pain deeper and deeper, the old man writhing in agony. Please... Please! Davriel glanced at her, held for a moment, his eyes clouding a deep gray-black. Then he snapped his fingers. The old man collapsed, groaning, but his immediate pain seemed to have ended. Davriel picked up the old tome and handed it to Miss Highwater, who was tucking away her knife. The old man managed to climb to his feet, and Davriel didn't do anything prevent him from fleeing out the door. Tacenda forced herself to keep moving, to try not to think too hard about what had happened. She instead decided to check on the bodies of the villagers and the priests while the demons nursed their wounds at the front of the old church. Still, she couldn't keep herself from glancing at the bodies of the fallen soldiers, and each time she did, she felt sick. She was accustomed to the hardships of life and the approaches, but there was something disturbingly brutal about these corpses, men and women slain in battle. How many horrors could she witness in one night before she collapsed beneath it all? Just keep going. Help, Help those, those you can. can she thought while rolling over Ulrich the Cobbler and settling him beside his family. Don't think about how, under any other circumstances, you'd have hailed the demon hunters as heroes. She squeezed her eyes shut and took a few long, deep breaths. She would keep going. She had to. She was the village's protector. She'd been chosen for this. She opened her eyes and sat back on the hardwood floor. So far as she could tell, none of the comatose villagers had been harmed during the skirmish. The closest any had come to danger was when Davriel had unleashed his stolen pyromancy. 
She'd used Ulrich's cloak to beat out the flames nearby. Nearby, Gutmorn limped through the ashes, his leg wrapped in a bandage. The lanky demon knelt down, tenderly lifting something from the black char. A horned demon skull. Ash flaked from it as Gutmorn lifted it to his face, and a low groan escaped his throat. An anguished, raw sound. His terrible eyes closed. His head rested lightly against the skull, and his posture crumpled into a stoop. Tasenda could almost see humanity in the poor thing. Gutmorn, your leg wound is bleeding through that bandage. The cut is deeper than you indicated. The demon didn't stir. Return to the manor, get that wound sewn up, and warn Grindelin that some of the hunters escaped us. They could decide to look for easy pickings at the manor. Gutmorn stood up. Wordlessly, still cradling the skull, he limped from the broken church. Miss Highwater reached up and rested a hand on his shoulder as he passed. And though the taller demon didn't look at her, he did hesitate beside her. Descenda felt as if she were intruding on a personal moment where she didn't belong. Gutmorn finally vanished out into the night, and the sound of beating wings announced his withdrawal. Davril strode through the room and inspected Crunchnar. The burly, flightless demon was carefully wrapping his forearm in a bandage. He'd taken far more punishment than Gutmorn, but seemed indifferent to his wounds. Don't even think about sending me away. I'll heal this up within the hour, and I won't leave you alone. You'll end up getting killed early and breaking our contract. Alas, you've caught me in my design. It has forever been my intent to seek suicide merely as a means of inconveniencing you. Crunchnar growled, as if believing it to be true. So far, the noxious air of your presence has not been enough to do me in, but I am nothing if not determined, so I shall find another method. He turned toward Tessenda. Do you require more time for recovery, Miss Falassen? I'm fine. She lied as she stood up. You wouldn't be with us if that were true. Davriel then pointed into the night with his cane. But let us be off. There is no more to learn from the dead. At least not the kind who cannot speak. They struck out into the night, Miss Highwater carrying the lanterns. Davriel's former reluctance appeared to have vanished. Indeed, as he led the way through the village back toward their carriage, his gentleman's sword cane wrapped the ground with a vigor that Tessenda might have considered eager in someone else. Where now? Those men obviously came through the Priory on their way here. Some had wards on their minds to protect against my talents. I was already intent upon visiting the Priory, both to ask after this priest who claims to have seen me and to see the Prioress. She has magical talents that help in interacting with spirits. The arrival of these hunters reinforces my decision. The Prioress has several questions she must answer. You... aren't going to kill her, are you? I think it shall depend greatly upon her responses. He slowed in the night, and Tessenda drew up beside him, confused, until she saw the carriage ahead. Or more accurately, the gruesome figure beside it. Poor Brerig. The small, simple-minded demon had been discovered by the hunters, likely before their assault upon the church. 
His deformed corpse had been nailed to a nearby door, his head removed and placed beside the flickering lantern on the ground. The mouth had been stuffed with what appeared to be garlic. Davriel didn't make a noise, though his hand upon the knob of his cane tightened until it trembled, the knuckles white. These are your good people, Miss Verlassen. Would that both gods above and demons below could protect me from good people. A man dubbed evil will take your purse, but a so-called good man will not be content until he has ripped out your very heart. She stepped back. There was no threat to his voice. Indeed, he spoke with the same light-hearted tone as ever, and yet... And yet... Since their strange meeting, she had lost most of her fear of him. Until that moment. Standing on the roadway, the light of the lanterns somehow failing to reach his face. In that moment, he seemed to become shadow itself, so cold as to smother all warmth. Then he spun, strange cloak fluttering around him, and stalked to the carriage. Its horses, fortunately, neither accosted nor stolen. Descenda followed, hesitant, shooting one last glance at Brerick's corpse. She would bury it, she decided, once her village had been rescued. The small demon had been kind to her. Certainly, he hadn't deserved such a fate. Hadn't he, though? He was a demon. Who knows what horrors he committed over the course of his life. She didn't know, and neither had the hunters. Perhaps that was what left her so uncomfortable. But what were they supposed to do? Ask a demon to list his crimes before destroying him? In this land, you didn't have time for such niceties. If you didn't strike quickly, the things that moved in the forest would claim your life before you had a chance to speak. And thus, the knights made monsters of them all. Crunchnar was already looking better. He took the driver's seat, causing the carriage to groan beneath his weight as he settled in. Miss Highwater again sat inside the carriage, a small lantern hanging beside her head, giving light as she opened her notebook ledger and started writing. Tessenda climbed in last, checking on her vial, which she'd left on the seat. The carriage lurched into motion, and Tessenda found the following silence overpowering. She searched for something to say and blurted out the first thing that came to her, though, upon reflection, it might not have been a wise choice. So, Voluptara? Miss Highwater paused in her writing, and Davriel, sitting on the seat beside Tessenda, chuckled softly. You heard that, did you? They name themselves, if you couldn't guess that much from Crunchnar and his fine, extremely creative moniker. I was young. It sounded impressive. To a sixteen-year-old boy, perhaps. Which was exactly the point. Remember, I was only twelve days old. I'd like to have seen you do better. Solterix. Luciusori. Can we stop the carriage? I need to go find that demonologist and nail his tongue to something. Bosom heavier. Oh, stop. You're making the child blush. Look, why don't you tell me the answer to Brarig's riddle? The devils have a betting pool going. Oh, that? 
It was a specific rock I saw once in Cabralin, shaped like a gourd. That's oddly disappointing. How would he ever have guessed that? He couldn't have, which is rather the point. Davriel eyed Tacinda, and her confusion must have been obvious, for he continued. Each of the demons has a contract with me, and the one whose conditions are fulfilled first gets claim upon my soul. Crunchnar, for example, earns my soul only if I live until 65 without dying. Which is clever, because it gives Crunchnar ample reason to protect him. Brerig got to claim my soul if he answered the riddle I gave him. He didn't place stipulations on what the riddle could be, unfortunately for him. I still think that was intentional. He was always happiest when he had a master to serve long-term. It gave him purpose. The riddle was, what am I thinking of right now? That's not a riddle. He accepted it as one, so it satisfied the contract. But there are no clues. There isn't even any context. It could be literally anything. Or technically nothing. And you could just change the answer if you happen to guess right. That at least he couldn't do. Davriel had to write the answer on the contract before burning it to seal the pact. Anyone else summoning the contract to read would find that spot indecipherable. But if Brerig guessed right, he'd have instantly known. That said, he only got five official guesses a day. And of course, Davriel picked something virtually impossible to get right. She shook her head. You were pulling for him, weren't you? He didn't seem to care at all that they were discussing the fate of his soul. It would have been hilarious if Brerig could somehow guessed. I'd have liked to see Crunchnar's reaction. You know, I half expected you to give the answer to Brerig the day before your 65th birthday, just to make Crunchnar explode in frustration. Ah? Uh? Davriel glanced upward toward the driver's position of the carriage. My dear, do you really think that I'd sign a contract that gave Crunchnar a chance at my soul even if I did reach 65? I've read the contract. It's airtight. The definitions are specific. The contract spends two pages on defining times, measures, and ages. You- She trailed off as Davriel settled back, smiling. How? How did you trick him? He gets my soul. If I live to 65 without dying. Oh, hell. You've died once already, haven't you? How? Davriel just continued to smile. All that talk of times and measures in the contract, it was just a distraction, wasn't it? I never realized. Hellfire. And they call us demons. Tacenda looked from one to the other as the carriage bounced over a bridge. What a bizarre conversation. So, what's your stipulation, Miss Highwater? Hmm? Oh, I can claim Davriel's soul once I manage to seduce him. Tacenda felt a spike of surprise, and then blushed furiously. She clutched her vial, and then looked from Davriel to Miss Highwater. Neither seemed the least bit bothered by the idea. He's quite stubborn. I assumed I'd have his soul in under a day, yet here I am, four years later, doing his leisures. Perhaps I just don't like women. Please. You think I'm that oblivious? She stabbed her ledger with a particularly sharp punctuation mark, then looked up. You are something else entirely.
Have you considered that perhaps you just aren't as attractive as you've always assumed? I've claimed plenty of souls using this exact contractual stipulation. Both men and women. And it was so kind of them to take pity on you. Really, they should be congratulated for bolstering your self-esteem by seeing the true beauty inside of you. Commendable people, every one. <sighs> you see what I have to put up with? Tessenda lowered her head in an attempt to hide her deep blush. Look what you've gone and done, Davriel. Scandalizing the poor thing. You... You really... I mean... It's not the only way I can claim souls. But it's worked well for me in the past, and I'll admit it's kind of expected of me at this point. I wasn't at all surprised when Davriel suggested it during the summoning and binding process. More, I was interested that a person who already had a contract on their soul would dare to try to make another. Davriel is a special case, though. He's very persuasive. Infuriatingly so. But... Earlier, you were so embarrassed by your name. Because it's silly. It doesn't mean I'm embarrassed of who I am. I'm just rusty, that's all. I spent years trapped in that stupid silver prison. You could have practiced your arts of seduction on the other demons. Please, have you seen what most of them look like? She looked at Tessenda again, who couldn't believe this conversation was still going on. Crunchnar is comparatively good-looking for a demon, child. Trust me, some of the others have hooks for hands. Literal hooks. I've always wondered about that. Seems terribly impractical. Thornbrack, will you pass me that pitcher of human blood? Oh, wait, I forgot. You lack opposable thumbs. Or fingers. They let the conversation die off, finally. Miss Highwater returning to writing. A quick glance showed she was writing down what they'd discovered at the village. Geists created from the souls of the people. Return to attack their friends and family so they're quite far gone. Traitor likely involved, killing the priest who was protecting the church. Check to see if any bodies are missing from the village. Bog seems likely involved. What is it truly? Someone, likely the traitor, was at the village physically earlier today. Tessenda heard footsteps. Why didn't they strike her down? Tessenda determined not to break the silence with another stupid question. She instead drew up the window shade and watched the dark forest outside. A fancy scholar from Thraben had once come to draw maps of the approaches. He'd tried to name the forest closest to them the Verlassen Wood, but they'd forced him to cross it out. The woods weren't theirs. Nobody could own those woods. The soldiers shouldn't have killed Brerig. Maybe we humans have been hunted for so long we've learned how to survive at the expense of remembering what it means to be human. To be just and good. <laughs> be good is simply a method used to signal that one is willing to conform to societal norms. Agreement with the crowd. Look at any history book and you'll discover that the threshold for acceptable confirmation varies widely depending on the group. You said yourself that stealing the talents of good people is harder for you. So goodness must exist. I said that it is more painful for me to use talents elites from people who view themselves as pure, which is a different thing entirely. I knew good people. 
in the village. That same village that locked you outside at night? Leaving a child to face the horrors of the forest alone? It was my fate. I was chosen by the bog, and I have to follow my destiny. Destiny? You need to learn to abandon this nonsense, child. You people put too much stock in fate. You must choose your own path, make your own destiny. Stand up and seize life. Stand up? Seize life? Like you do, sitting alone in your manor. Seizing the occasional nap? Miss Highwater stifled a laugh at that, earning her a glare from Davriel. He looked back at Tessenda. Sometimes the most honorable choice a man can make is to do nothing at all. That's contradictory. You want to justify being impassive while better people die. You want to pretend that nobody is good so that you don't feel guilty for ignoring their pain. You- That will be enough, child. She turned away from him, looking out the window once more. But he was wrong. She had known people who were good. Her parents and their simple love of making clothing. Willia, who had been determined to learn how to force back the darkness so it could never make anyone frightened again. One way or another, tonight Tessenda would see Willia and the others restored. According to Davriel's pocket watch, it was almost two in the morning by the time they turned onto the last road approaching the Priory. Davriel had expected the girl to doze off at some point during the ride, but she continued staring out at the trees and the patterns of shadow made by their passing. Of course, spending the ride in silence didn't mean that Davriel was left alone. We cannot hide for much longer. We need to prepare for what to do when we are discovered. You've been saying that for months now. And lo, here we are, still safe, still alone. They hunt you. They will find your hiding place. Then I will seek out another. Davriel could feel the entity stirring inside his mind. Davriel smelled smoke, and his vision faded. The entity was playing with his senses again. Do you not remember the thrill, the glory of conquest? Do you not remember the power of that day? I remember, realizing that I'd drawn too much attention, that the strength I had, no matter how glorious, wouldn't be enough, that the ones who wished to claim you would defeat me easily if I stood alone before them. Yes. Yes. There was a wisdom in that realization. Davriel cocked his head, and then banished the entity's touch upon his senses. What? You agree that I shouldn't have used you further at that moment? Yes. Yes. Odd. The entity normally wanted him to draw upon it, use it for its true purpose, as a vast reservoir to power his spells. With the entity, he could make his stolen abilities last weeks under constant use. As it was, spells he stole from the minds of others usually faded a few hours after he first employed them. Some lasted longer, and others vanished after a few minutes, particularly if he'd been holding them for a while before their first use. You are not yet ready! I saw that. 
I've been working on a solution. The multiverse boils in your absence. Forces clash and the boundaries between planes tremble. Eventually the conflict will find you. I will have you ready and prepared. Ready to rise up and claim the position that is rightfully yours. It fell silent and didn't respond as he prodded it. What was it planning? Or were these just more idle promises and threats? Feeling chilled by the conversation, Davriel turned his attention to the task at hand. He'd stolen several abilities from the hunters at the church, though even as he considered them, it was difficult not to notice how they seemed so insignificant compared to the power of the entity. Never mind that. From the leader of the hunters, he'd stolen a very interesting banishing spell. It was strong, but as proven by her attempt to use it on him, it couldn't affect a human. He could use it to dismiss a creature of magic, like a geist or even an angel, though the effects would be temporary. The pyromancy, of course, would also prove useful, though now that he'd used it once, its strength would fade until it left him entirely. He'd hoped for something useful in the mind of the old Diabolist, but the only talent he'd found in the man's skull was a scribe's ink spell for making words appear on a surface as you imagined them. Hardly much use in combat, though he also still had the weapon summoning spell. That would linger, like the pyromancy, for a few hours. Not a particularly powerful arsenal, but he had survived with less, and he should add the Priors' talents soon enough. Indeed, light from ahead on the old forest roadway indicated they were near. Tessenda perked up in her seat. She was a tough one, though that was not uncommon for these approachers. As hardy as rocks and as stubborn as boars, with roughly as much sense as either. Otherwise, they'd have found somewhere else to live. Of course. What does that say about me? A man who came to live here, of all places, on a whim. You didn't come on a whim. I brought you here deliberately. Davriel felt a sudden spike of alarm. He sat up straight, causing Miss Highwater, on the seat across from him, to snap her ledger closed and come alert. What? What did you just say? The entity settled down again, quieting. You didn't bring me here. I came to Innistrad out of my own will, because of this plane's demonic population. Again, the entity said nothing. Miss Highwater looked about, trying to figure out what had concerned him. Avril forced himself to paste an unconcerned expression on his face. Surely, surely the entity was merely taunting him, and yet he had never known it to say anything that, at the very least, it didn't believe to be true. The carriage slowed as it approached the lights, two massive glass-covered lanterns burning oil. Fire! The universal sign that civilization lay beyond. Oh, the carriage! Tessenda perked up. I know that man, Davriel. It's Rom. He's... I'm familiar with him, thank you. Miss Highwater drew up the window shade, revealing the old monk as he stepped up beside the vehicle. Rom performed a bow, a little unsteady on his feet, for Davriel. The man himself. Lord Davriel Greystone, I suppose we should have been expecting to see you tonight. 
My visit became inevitable once those hunters were sent my way, Rom. I, I suppose that's true. Rom glanced down the road toward the Priory, visible in the distance with light pouring out of its windows. Well, that's a worry for younger men. He turned back to the carriage and nodded to Miss Highwater. Feaster of men. Rom, you're looking well. You always say that, miss. But while you haven't changed a blink in 40 years, I know right well I've turned into an old scrap of leather left too long in the sun. Mortal's age, Rom. It is your way. But I would sooner bet on the scrap of leather that has stood sturdy for 40 years than I would the new piece untested. The old man smiled, showing a few missing teeth. He glanced up at Crunchnar, who, judging by the way the roof groaned under his weight, had moved over to watch the old hunter. Well, let's get you into the Prioress, my lord. Ever since I arrived and told her about the village, she's been wanting to speak with... He trailed off, squinting into the carriage, and then he started, noticing Tessenda in the seat for the first time. Mr. Senda? Why... You said you were going to stay at my cabin. I'm sorry, Rom. I found her in my washing room, with an eye for vengeance and a rusty implement in hand. Ruined one of my favorite shirts when she stabbed me. Dancing now! Davriel might have expected the man to be aghast, but instead he just laughed and slapped his leg. <laughs> well, that was right bravely done, Mr. Sender. I could have just told you it would be useless, but my, stabbing the man himself? The bog must be right proud of you. Um, thank you. Well, I'm glad to see you safe, miss. I was going to go back for you, after telling the prioress what you told me. But she said she needed every soldier here, even an old one like me, just in case. So, she set me watching the road instead. Rom opened the door to let Miss Highwater out. Normally, when Davriel visited, she and the other demons would wait outside the Priory. Instead, one of the monks or priests would drive Davriel and the coach inward. Tonight, however, Davriel stopped her by climbing out himself. Dav? I want you out here with the carriage. If something happens, I might need you to join me quickly. You could just all come in. Pardon, my lord, but they could if they wanted. I'm sure the Prioress would love that. She ain't the lord of this ground. Pardon, but it's the Archangel's own truth that she ain't. And if you're worried about the destroying light, well, I don't think any of these young pups here have enough power for you to fear. And my own skill ain't enough to singe a devil these days. Davriel looked toward Miss Highwater, and she shook her head. Crunchnar likely would have relished the chance to stomp around on holy ground and desecrate an altar or two, but Davriel didn't ask him. Instead, he waved for Tessenda to join him. The young woman scrambled out, bringing her vial. Davriel left his sword cane, confident he could summon it with his recently acquired spell. He looked to Crunchnar. Be ready. And then he looked to Rom, who led the way farther along the road toward the Priory. Leaves crunched underfoot, and things rustled out in the trees, likely just forest animals. An unusual number of them lived close to the Priory. 
Davriel passed between the burning lanterns along the road, entering the clearing where, at the very center of a gentle slope, the priory stood proud beneath the moon. The long, single-story building had always looked lonely to him. Descenda glanced over her shoulder, back at the demons. I don't understand. Rom acts friendly towards you, but at the same time, I feel like we're walking to battle. My relationship with the Priory is... complex. As for Rama, let him speak for himself. My lord, I ain't got nothing to say worth hearing. I stay out of it these days. I had enough of that foolishness when I was younger. You know Miss Highwater. I tried for ten years to destroy that demon. <sighs> Damn near got myself killed half a dozen times on that fool quest. I eventually learned, though. Never hunt a demon smarter than you are. Stick to the dumb ones. There are plenty of those to keep a hunter busy all his life. I thought you hunted werewolves when you were younger. I hunted whatever tried to hunt men, miss. First that was demons. Then wolves. Then angels. Well, that, that broke stronger men than me. When it all settled down, I'd found I'd become an old man. Best years of my life spent knee-deep in blood. Came here to try to escape that. Wash a little of it off. <laughs> Spend some time hunting weeds instead. Do you know a priest named Edwin? Sure. Eager, that one. Young. Tell me of him. His head is filled with the talk of the Righteous Inquisition. Talk from a more zealous minds back in the heart of human lands. He's started down a road already. A type that you never realize only goes one way. I shouldn't say more. Talk to the Prioress. A few Priory Cathars waited by the doors of the southeastern entrance. White coats over leathers, with large collars and peaked hats that shadowed their faces. They glared at Davriel. Nice hats. The church really did have the best headgear. Rom led the way down a small corridor, and Davriel followed, his cloak billowing to brush both walls. The Priory was a humble place. The Prioress eschewed ornamentation, preferring bleak wooden corridors painted white. They passed the steps down to the catacombs, where they kept that silly artifact they said had been given to them by an angel. Davriel's passing drew some attention, heads peeking out of doors, others running off to spread the news that the man was visiting. Nobody interrupted him, at least not until they approached the prioress's door. Just before he arrived, a priest burst out of a side door and then, face flush from a quick run, positioned himself between Davriel and his destination. He was a young man with stark black hair, peaked like a man twice his age. He wore no armor, just the robes of his station, but he immediately drew his longsword and leveled it at Davriel. Stop there, fiend! Davriel cocked an eyebrow, and then glanced at Rom. Edwin? Yes, your lordship. I will not stand your reign of terror. Everyone knows what you've done. An entire village? You may frighten the others, but I was trained for what was right. Davriel studied the youth, whose offhand started to glow. It was often their first instinct to try to hit him with destroying light. 
They were all so certain that secretly he was some kind of unnatural monster, rather than just a man, the most natural monster of them all. Edwin, calm down, lad. This won't go well for you. I can't believe you let him in here, Rom. You forgot our first lessons. Don't speak to the monsters, don't reason with them, and most importantly, don't invite them in! You claim you saw me on the road seven days ago. You say I was there with two geists attacking some merchants. How did I look? I don't have to answer to you. Edwin held up his sword, lamplight gleaming on the length. Did you even see my mask? I... you fled into the forest before I could see it. I fled? On foot? I didn't use a carriage and you just let me go? You... you disappeared into the forest with your geists. I didn't see your mask, but the cloak is obvious. And I didn't give chase, because I needed to check on your victims. So you told everyone you'd seen me? When all you really saw was an indistinct cloaked figure? I... I knew what you were. The Inquisitors talked about lords like you, feeding off the innocent, searching for unprotected villages to dominate. Your type are a plague upon our land. You were looking for a reason to blame me for something. This was just the first chance you found. Foolish boy, how tall was this figure you saw? I... He seemed to be reconsidering his accusation. Davriel raised his hand and rubbed his fingers, summoning his stolen pyromancy. The power was still with him, though fading. He made flames dance around his fingers. Was Edwin lying on purpose or not? Could Edwin have plotted to kill to send his parents for some reason, and then let the sister escape so she'd be able to identify the killer as Davriel? Had he then attacked the merchants himself, and then used the attack to focus everyone on Davriel? Perhaps he could scare out the truth. Rom, you should fetch some water. I'd hate to burn the place down by accident, and maybe get a mob to deal with what is left of this young man. Yes, your lordship. He took Descenda by the arm, steering her away from the conflict farther down the hall. Edwin went white in the face, but to his credit, he tried lunging at Davriel. All in all, it wasn't a bad maneuver. Davriel's cloak, however, produced afterimages that confused all but the most precise swordsmen. The boy's attack went to the right. Davriel stepped aside, and then lightly tapped the blade with a flick of his fingernail. The youth spun around, growling, and then lunged again. Davriel, in turn, activated the weapon-summoning spell. Doing so sent a small spike of pain into his mind. Stupid spell. Still, it worked, bringing to his hand the last weapon he'd touched. In this case, the young priest's sword. Edwin stumbled, off balance as his weapon vanished, and then reappeared in Davriel's hand. Davriel raised his other hand, letting the flames rise around his fingers. Tell me, child, do you really think that I would run from you? The young priest stumbled back, shaking, but yanked his dagger from his belt. Do you really think that I would take souls in secret? If I needed them, I would demand them. He needed something to enhance the moment. Perhaps that ink spell he'd stolen from the old demonologist. 
It barely gave Davril a twinge of pain as he used it to paint the walls black like pooling ink. He made eldritch letters break off the main body of darkness and move across the floor toward Edwin. They flowed like shadows written in Old Ulgrothen. The young priest started to shake visibly and stepped backward before the arcane scrawl. I did not kill those people. They served me well, but your accusation has done incredible harm. Whoever is really behind this has got away and has used you as a distraction. So answer my questions. What did this person look like? They... they were shorter than you are. Slighter frame, I guess. I... I was so sure it was you. His eyes opened wider somehow, as the letters inched toward him. Nameless Angel, forgive me! He turned and fled. Davriel watched the youth go, lowering his hand, banishing the pyromancy. He couldn't know for certain, but his instinct said that this Edwin was no hidden criminal mastermind. He'd seen an attack on the roadway, perhaps one intentionally designed to provide a witness. Indeed, it seemed likely that the attack on Tessenda's parents had left the sister alive for the same reason, so she'd run and tell people what she'd seen. Could it be that whatever was behind it knew that sudden disappearances would cause rumors to spread and bring hunters to investigate? The first strikes could all have been about providing cover by deflecting attention toward Davriel. Shorter than I am. He was five feet ten inches. And slighter of frame. That didn't mean much, because with his cloak, people usually saw him as bigger than he was. Are you quite done? Davriel turned to find the prioress standing in the doorway to her room. With furrowed skin and a head topped with a silver bun, she was aged like an old chair you found in the attic. Logic told you it must have once been new, but really you had trouble imagining it had ever actually been in style. Simple white clothing draped her body, and her lips were stamped with a perpetual frown. Stop threatening, my priests. You're here for me. If you must claim a soul, take mine, if you can. I will have vengeance for what you have cost me, old woman. He met her eyes, and the two stared at each other for an extended period. Worried whispers came from the other end of the hallway, where monks and priests had gathered to watch. Finally, the prioress stepped back and let Davriel into the small room. He stomped in and kicked the door closed, tossed away the sword. Then he slumped down into the chair behind the desk. We were supposed to have had a deal, Merlinda! The prioress idled by the door, poking at some of the inky letters that he'd put up on the walls outside. They had bled through the cracks around the door and into the room. Will these come off? I really don't know. Hopefully nobody in your priory can read Old Grothen. I chose the letters because they look intimidating. But really, I only learned a few phrases when I was younger, mostly as a joke. What I wrote outside is a recipe for buttered scones. The prioress turned toward him, folding her arms. That's my seat, Greystone. Yes, I know. 
he shifted and tried to lounge in the hard, uncushioned wood chair. He finally got into a position where he could tip it back and put his feet on her desktop. Would it kill one of your religious types to sit in a comfortable seat? Are you really that afraid of being happy? She settled down in a chair on the other side of the desk. My joy comes from other comforts. Such as breaking contracts solemnly sworn? She eyed the door. Don't speak so loudly. The Inquisition might have been ended, but its embers still burn. Edwin isn't the only hothead in residence at the Priory. Several members of my staff would string me up if they got it into their minds I was consorting with demons or their master. That presumes I don't string you up first. Davriel put his feet down, then stood, looming over the desk and the woman sitting on the other side. I will say it again. I do not take the breaking of contracts lightly. The prioress slipped a small cup off the desk, then raised it to her lips, taking a sip of something dark and warm. Fool woman always had refused to be properly intimidated. Honestly, it was part of why he liked her. Did you kill all of those hunters, then? <sighs> a few escaped. The old man, the squires. I see. I've been a patient man, Melinda. I ignored the occasional hunter, and even that paladin last week. She must not have known they were going to attack me, I told myself. Or perhaps they didn't stop at the Priory first. But an entire task force of demon hunters, several with wards upon their minds? Our terms were clear. You were to dissuade such groups. The Prioress looked down at her tea. You expect me to honor a promise in the face of what has been happening? An entire village was murdered today. Some of your priests are stupid, but you are not. You know me well enough to recognize I wasn't involved. So why would you aid a band of assassins bent on murdering me? The prioress took another sip of tea. Is that Verlossen Dust Willow? The finest. Nothing is better at stilling the nerves. This is unfortunately my last cup. Mm. Figured. Perhaps I hoped that the hunters would awaken you, Greystone. Your people suffer and you barely take notice. I write you of their pains and hardships, only to receive rambling missives complaining about how your toes get cold at night. I honestly expected Benahosians out of a people who live in a perpetual autumn. The only thing you do respond to is an interruption. Which was our deal. He stalked past her, pacing in the room. I leave the people of the approaches alone. I don't demand more than food and the occasional gift of goods. In turn, you were to keep people from bothering me. The suffering is such a bother, isn't it? Bah! You'd prefer someone else were there, Lord. Perhaps some two-faced tyrant who crushes wheels during the day than howls at the moon during the night. Or you'd rather go back to a blood-sucking scion of House Markov, like the one I killed when I arrived. Fool woman. You should be preaching daily to the people how good their lives are. He stopped his pacing near the back of the small room, where he noted a framed picture sitting on the floor, facing the wall. He tipped it toward him and found a painting of the Archangel Avicen. I... 
I did think it was you. Until I heard you interrogating Edwin just now, I thought you must have been the one who took the souls of the villagers. He glanced back at her. After the merchants were attacked, I investigated. My gift for sensing spirits revealed that geists had been involved, just as Edwin said. It made sense. You're the only thing in this forest I know for sure has the strength to defy that cursed bog. I thought it must have been you who took the souls of the people. And you did nothing? Of course I did something. I sent to the church in Thraben begging for the strongest hunters. I asked for men and women specifically talented in killing demons, and warned them that you could pierce mines. I had been worried for some time that eventually you'd show a second face, the hidden face that so many lords have. Idiot. You've been played for a fool. I realize that now. If you'd been the man I feared, you would have destroyed the Priory instead of walking in to demand answers. But what is going on? I thought maybe it was Edwin. Someone physically stabbed one of your priests in the village late yesterday. They let whoever it was into the church, so your priests must have trusted them. Whoever it was killed the priest with a knife. It was not the act of a geist. Which... Which one? Which geist? How should I know? No, Greystone. Which priest? Who was stabbed? He looked at her, frowning. The prioress was a hard woman, but she'd leaned forward in her seat, holding her cup and seeming... weighed down. The priests she sent. She's thinking how she sent them to their deaths. I don't know. The older one with the beard. Not her. Angels bless your soul, my friend. <sighs> I doubt Edwin is behind this. He is difficult to manage, but he is sincere in his faith. I suppose perhaps we could get him to open his mind to you so that you could tell for certain. I can't read minds. That's not how my skills work. Davriel spun the painting of the Archangel on its corner, thinking. What about your other priests? When I was a young accountant working ledgers for the partnership, one of the first things they taught us was to find embezzlers by tracing motivations. We were to look for the person with the unique mixture of both opportunity and incentive. A sudden financial pressure or news in their life that left them desperate. Change is the true catalyst of crisis. I can't account for each of my priests specifically, but I don't think any had opportunity or incentive. We're here to save the people, not kill them. And we certainly wouldn't consort with evil spirits. But you'll consort with evil men? She looked at him. That depends on how much hope we have in them, I suppose. She shook her head. I think you're ignoring the true culprit in this. The obvious answer? When I saw the trail of the geists who did this, the light was tinged a sickly green. I've lived here for almost twenty years now. I can recognize the bog's touch when I see it. Someone stabbed that priest, remember? And Tessenda claims to have heard footsteps. Someone was controlling the geists. That girl. She and her sister are an... odd case. 
I have read accounts of the past and can find nothing like their curse of blindness. I was making progress with the people of the Approaches some ten years ago, bringing them to the angel's light. And then those two started manifesting powers. It made the people follow the bog again, upended nearly everything I'd accomplished since arriving here. The sister was claimed by the Whisperers, but Tessenda said they would not take her. I wonder why. The answer is obvious. I managed to get through to Willia. She was training to become a Cathar. Willia turned against the bog, and so it killed her. I never managed to reach Tessenda, though. I feel there must be more. Something I'm missing about this mess. Perhaps the bog left to sender because it has another purpose for her. You say you think this person was controlling the Geists, but perhaps you have it wrong. The bog could be controlling the spirits directly, but also be using one or two living pawns to accomplish its tasks. The priests might have led a stray villager crying for help into the church. Either way, the bog is the true evil here. But why would it kill its own followers? Evil often has no reason for what it does. No. Evil has the most obvious reasons. He didn't say it because he hadn't the energy for a prolonged argument. But it wasn't the people without morals that confused Davriel. They tended to align best with their incentives and were much easier to read. It was the moral people who acted erratically against their self-interest. Still, the Prioress did have a point. Multiple trails pointed toward the bog. Do you know what it is, really? A false god, some horrible thing that lurks far beneath the waters, consuming offerings. When I first arrived, sent to this region to teach the people the correct path of faith, I confronted it. I went to that bargain and I looked into it using my powers. There, I found something terrible, vast, and ancient. I knew then that I could not fight it with conventional prayers or wards. It was far too strong. I built up this priory on top of the catacombs, and I dedicated everything I had to converting the people of the Approaches. I felt that if I could prevent them from giving their souls to the thing, it would eventually wither and die. You converted Willia, one of its chosen champions. Perhaps that provoked all of this. It is possible. I can't say for certain. At first, I assumed that you would come here to study or control the bog. Perhaps that was why I was so quick to believe you were behind these deaths. It seemed an impossible coincidence that a person of your talents had come to settle in a place so remote. I didn't know about the bog before I arrived. Ah, but I knew about it. What? You did? Whatever it is, it is hungry. The bog consumes the souls of those who die here. Even the seal and stone's influence can barely resist it, despite being given to us by the Nameless Angel specifically for this purpose. What do you know about the bog? You imply you led me here. For what purpose? For strength. 
You will see. Davriel frowned, and then looked to the prioress. It seems, unfortunately, that I am forced to confront the bog. What a bother. Still, if I can find the cause of these manifestations, I'm reasonably certain I can return the souls to the people of the village. Or at least an acceptable number of them, considering the circumstances. The prioress started, then twisted all around in her chair to look back at where he stood, still at the back of the room, idly spinning the picture of Avicen. Save them? Is it possible? If it has been done, then I can see it undone. I don't think that is always going to be true. But it will be enough if you try. What do you require of me? Once this is over, you must travel to Thraven and do whatever it takes to make certain fools there believe I have died, or left, or been humiliated into hiding. I could do better. I could tell them that I was wrong, and that you saved us. If you bring the people back, I'll cry it from the steps of the great cathedral itself. I'll proclaim you a hero, and... No. He dropped the painting, walked up to her seat, looming over her. No. I must be made out to be nothing special. Another minor, petty lord who has claimed an insignificant slice of land nobody cares about. A fop unworthy of attention or note. Nothing special, nothing to care about. She nodded slowly. For now, I'll need to borrow your talent for sensing and anchoring spirits. He held out his hand. You shall have it, willingly. She put her aged hand in his. It will be painful. Our natures do not align, and you'll be left without access to the ability for a short while, perhaps as long as a day. So be it. He gritted his teeth, and then pierced her mind. In turn, he felt an immediate spear of pain right through his skull. Hellfire, this woman was wholesome. He couldn't see her thoughts, but he was drawn as ever to power. The energy inside of her, the glow of ability, strength, magic. He ripped it free, wincing at the terrible sensation. This granted a new spell, raw and radiant, one which would let him track the movements of spirits and, if needed, force them to remain corporeal. The prioress slumped in her seat. He held her by the arm, keeping her from sliding to the ground. She was a tough old hound, and, to an extent, he did recognize the importance of her work. People needed something to believe in, something to provide comfort and keep them from being crushed by the realities of human existence. The truth was a dangerous thing, best left to those who could realistically exploit it. The prioress finally recovered and squeezed his arm in thanks for supporting her. He nodded once and turned to leave, suffering still from the spear of pain through his mind. You've been roused to action, but you seem reluctant still. What would it take, Greystone, to make you really care? Corpses. Death. Memory. Don't ask that. He stepped back into the hallway. This land is not ready for a version of me who cares for anything other than his next nap.
Thank you for listening to this production of Voice of All. As listener-supported entertainment, we rely on you not just for the voices of the characters, but also to keep us going and growing. If you enjoyed what you heard, please support us by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, or following us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts, or just plain sharing with your friends. You can also support us financially on Patreon for exclusive perks. Children of the Nameless was written by Brandon Sanderson. The podcast was produced and edited by Gin Dokeshi, with sound editing by Liz Jones, Grace Noir, Knox Shade, and Christina Edelman. This week's story featured the voice talents of Cameron Scott Saxon Newowner, Madison Dabbs, Dee Dee Foyer, Paul Warren, Benjamin Mackinson, Cretan, Tsukinokage, Inra Zyro, Brian Clymer, Ozzy Snedden, Zane Loeb, and Sharon Grunwald. Voice of All is unofficial fan content, permitted under the Wizards of the Coast fan content policy. Magic the Gathering is copyright, Wizards of the Coast. Thanks so much for listening, and you'll have a great day. <laughs>